Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, last week, we talked about generosity, and we're going to continue talking about it this week. It was so great to hear throughout the week, both before and after, ways that generosity has affected your own lives, in big ways, in small ways, in ways that actually had a profound effect on how your life was shaped from there on. When we see generosity, we celebrate it, don't we? We see it around us. When we see it in our own lives, we celebrate it. You know, when Ethan was just a toddler, he had one of those... You know, I actually struggled this week to know what to call this thing. I'd say it was a plastic bike, but that would be wrong. I had like, you know the four little plastic wheels that don't turn very well? So that when toddlers get on them and push them, it really is just a scraping sound. And you know what I'm talking about? So they're not really, they're walking, but they kind of have this bike made by, I don't know what, some plastic company. Anyway, so in our Grand Prairie we were living, we had the sidewalk, and he would scrape his way up and down um, the, you know, the couple of houses, and we would be there, of course, uh, with him. And up the street, about five houses, there's this little boy who was roaring around on a, a new bike. But it didn't take him long to notice Ethan, who was just a toddler, maybe, I don't know, year and a half. I'm kind of lost track of how big and old kids are at certain stages now. But anyway, so he's there. And also this little boy has dropped his new bike and he's standing on the lawn, his lawn, watching Ethan scrape back and forth. And he did that for, you know, like 10 minutes. He's watching and he's watching. And then he goes and talks to his parents. And the next thing you know, his mom and dad who are looking pretty proud at that point, are walking down, good proud, um, with their little boy, and they're carrying an, a nice tricycle. And they're bringing it up the street. And this little boy says to Ethan, do you want my tricycle? I want to give it to you. And Ethan, you know, was probably not even talking at that point. He was just like, oh, yeah. And, then, uh, and, and so then the little boy says to us, you know, does he want it? And, and then the parent said, this is all his idea. Like, he watched Ethan scraping his way up and down on this plastic bike. And he went to his mom and dad and said, can I give my tricycle to that little boy? Because he had just outgrown it, had got a bike, and he didn't need it anymore. But he thought Ethan would would need it, would enjoy it. And Ethan did. (laughs) Beautiful generosity, hey? I tell you one thing, his parents were sort of celebrating it. Yes, we've raised our child right and he's only four. We celebrate those things as parents. Generosity. It's a beautiful thing. When we see it, we celebrate it. Generosity, as we've been discovering in our story in Acts, is woven right into the DNA of these early Jesus followers. Woven right into the DNA. We've been reading the story of Acts, of how these the Acts, remember, is the first history of these Christians just after the resurrection of Jesus. And we've been seeing how God's Spirit has been filling this community and then fulfilling in their life His vision for them. And the result, well, one of the results, but it's commented on quite a bit, was an extraordinary generosity. Luke tells us that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons 
among them, which is an incredible thing. But it also, as we talked about last week, points back to an ancient hope that God had had for his covenant people, a hope that was now being realized by the Holy Spirit in the early church. One of the ways that God's grace was at work among them within this community was around personal possessions, through a reorientation of ownership to stewardship, but then from stewardship to generosity. And somehow, and I I want you just to note, this is pretty miraculous. Somehow, God's Spirit had changed the way people actually viewed their stuff. Can we all call that a miracle? We all look at signs and miracles, lame guys walking. Oh, come on, people. I think people having a complete different view of their stuff is just as much of a miracle. Now that they've been united by the Spirit in this new family of God, people viewed their assets not as something to be saved for their own rainy day in the future, but now as something God could use to, as it were, bring sunshine to rainy days in people's present lives. See the difference that that was making? It was huge. We're told that on top of this common sharing of generosity and shared life together, that there were occasional larger gifts given. We're told that, and I quote, from time to time, this is at the end of Acts chapter 4, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, it wasn't that this was happening all the time, but it was happening enough that it was noted. This was happening. God's grace working in us creates our generosity to others. And it's a powerful witness to Jesus. As we said last week, nothing says Jesus like generosity. It's powerful. And this early community is pointing to Jesus in everything that they were doing. Certainly their bold verbal witness to Jesus. They're actually telling people, Jesus died and rose again. You wouldn't believe it. Us, you can believe it. It's amazing. We all saw it. Yeah, yeah. Bold verbal witness, but also in their shared, generous community care. And it's this kind of generosity that I've seen displayed throughout the years in the church. I grew up in a generous community. The generosity of my early church experience profoundly shaped my life. And as God was calling me into ministry as a young teenager, and then you know I took my first steps going on missions, it was the generosity of my home church, people sacrificing financially to send me, that had a profound influence on my life. One of the biggest influences, about the third time I went on summer missions, um, I I was going to go to Haiti. And uh, I was going with, I was invited by another missionary to go. And so I had to raise, you know, money to go, right? Plane ticket and whatnot. And uh, a young single mom in my congregation, an indigenous uh, sister of mine, she came and said to me, Tom, I want to pay for your plane ticket. Now, you understand, this is an indigenous single mom. This is a, not a person with a lot of resources. And she, over a process of about nine months, she collected the money and paid for my, I think it was about $900 plane ticket to Haiti in 1990. And that had a profound influence on me. Not just going to Haiti and, and experiencing what I experienced there and, and God's work in my own life, but to see, to see someone who didn't have a lot of resources, listen to this, contribute resources out of her own sacrificial giving to then have me to go and work with other people with 
tremendous lack of resources. That's a, a real gospel thing. You know, that's a good news thing. To see that profoundly changed my life. I've seen that kind of generosity. I've experienced it. I've seen people who have given uh, percentages of their inheritance to the church. I, I've seen people who have decided to skip coffees for a year so they can contribute that extra money and sponsor a World Vision kid. I've seen people who say, I'm going to deliberately schedule in my calendar at least every week or two a place for my lonely neighbor to have a meal with us. That kind of generosity flows. It's woven into the DNA of the church, and I've seen it. God's grace works his generosity into us, and then his generosity pours through us to others. But let me ask you this. What happens when a community becomes renowned for that kind of radical, selfless generosity? Well, what happens, obviously, there's good that happens, right? I mean, no needy persons among this early church community. It's about 5,000 plus at this point, and nobody in this community had, had needs that weren't being met. Wow, that's incredible. People are coming to find and follow Jesus as they see the risen Jesus being lived out in this community. So lots of good things are happening. But what's the danger in that renown? What's the potential threat when generosity shapes the DNA of a church? Ever thought about that? Simply put, it's this. The danger comes as people try to leverage generosity to elevate their own position rather than to alleviate someone else's poverty. You hear that? The danger comes because generosity is such a value such an expression of God's work that people would see the generosity and then try to leverage it to elevate their own position rather than alleviate someone else's poverty. Now, today, we're we're talking about generosity, but really, this kind of threat can happen with any good and godly quality. Whether a church is known for its heartfelt worship, whether uh, people are known for their depth of of, of spiritual devotion, um, whether a church is known for rigorous scripture study and insight, whether they're known for acts of community service, actually, there will always be a temptation to try to get credit for possessing the quality without actually letting God grow it from within us. A temptation will always be there. In other words, we can be tempted to be known by others as spiritually vibrant without ever actually seeking God's face. We can be known for being people of prayer, want to be known for being people of prayer, but we don't actually pray. To be people who care, but we don't actually care. You know, we want to be known for that. Maybe to be known uh, as a person who studies Scripture, uh, but really it's about knowing Scripture, not about knowing God who reveals Himself through Scripture. Well, today's Acts story gives us a bit of a gut check that even here, even in this Spirit-filled, vibrant community, even where God's grace is so powerfully at work creating this radical, Jesus-centered generosity, which results profoundly in the elimination of need, Even there, danger lurks. The temptation rose to look the part of being generous. Even be lauded, oh wow, those people are incredible. Look at their generosity without actually sacrificing. Without actually being a generous person. 
without actually letting the grace of God grow this from within us. What do you know? Virtue signaling isn't new. Yeah. Well, as we're going to see today, to have your reputation of being generous out there that isn't actually reflective of God's work of grace in here is a very dangerous thing. God hates fake generosity that flows from a false heart. Well, what Luke does here in Acts, Luke's the author of Acts, he he serves up two examples of people who did the same thing, sold land, uh, gave the money to the church, laid it at the apostles' feet, and they're told, one of them to encourage us and the other to warn us. And they both reveal God's heart around how he takes our generosity so seriously. So let's read these two examples side by side as Luke records them. And then I'll just make a few comments. I'd like to leave time if we can. Oh, yeah, look at that. It's almost 11. we got time for your questions. So I'll try to rattle through this. We had other things that were important to highlight today in our service and, uh, and to worship together, so hope you don't mind. So these are two examples. The first one starts at the end of chapter 4, verse 36, 37. It goes like this. Joseph, and then it really tells us who this guy is, a Levite from Cyprus, uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas which means son of encouragement. Long introduction because he becomes a significant player. Well, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is Luke's first example. And it serves as a really nice introduction to this guy named Barnabas, a man who will become a, a more major player in the story of Acts as the church expands, as disciples multiply, and the good news of Jesus is going into the world. Barnabas is part of that. Not too far, much further in Acts, Barnabas is the one who steps in to advocate for this newly converted man named Paul. Paul had been persecuting the church, and rightfully, or understandably, other Christians were afraid of him. They thought he was lying, and he's going to trick them somehow. And Barnabas is the one who came alongside and advocated for Paul and brought him into the Christian community. And then later, it's Barnabas who joined Paul in beginning to go around the Asia Minor through the Roman Empire and began planting churches. It's as a result of Barnabas that Paul really got going. And it's through Paul and Barnabas that the truth and the good news about Jesus began to spread. So this is Barnabas' introduction. That comes later. Here we have an early sense of who he is. Notice this. Barnabas sells a field he owns, offers it to the apostles to be used as they see fit, particularly in the meeting of needs. Well, what does this tell us about Barnabas? What does it tell us about him? It tells us, obviously, that God's grace is at work in him. That's what we were told a little earlier is, is what's creating this generosity. It shows us that he's completely committed to the work that God is doing through the church. That he's had a total reorientation around what matters for him. And that now, giving of what he has been given to care for the poor among his church family is critical. That he's not thinking about his own gain, but he's thinking about others' good. And this isn't meant to be a pattern set for all giving. We are not to read this as a command that we're to obey or a standard that we're to achieve. You know, these are for the, that's for the real spiritual. I mean, if you really want to follow Jesus, I mean, that actually gets us into dangerous waters we're going to talk about in a little bit. No, we're not supposed to hear it that way. We're supposed to read it as a sign of God's grace at work in this community, at work in Barnabas' life. Things that we can see in small and in big ways. We're to be encouraged by the generosity we see, And maybe even to allow this story, hearing this story, to be a way that God's grace 
begins to work in us. I mean, could it be, without turning the story into some command or standard or some super elite, don't do that, that's not what acts, not how it's written, not how we're supposed to hear it. But could it be that hearing a story like this about one of our brothers in Christ here, Barnabas, that the Holy Spirit might, might remind us of something we haven't used for a while. That maybe there's something that we could free up to use for kingdom good. Like maybe there is an unused possession or some extra investment or, or something we've been, we've been keeping, 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 think we're going to use, think we're going to use, think we're going to use, and we're not using it. Perhaps the Holy Spirit does use a story like this to help us say, hey, you know what, I could do that. Let's think of the good it would do. Think of the people that it might help, help, help us reach. Think, think of the ways it could bring freedom to someone's life. It could be that the Holy Spirit uses a story like this and you can ask him to help you with that. But then, following the Barnabas example, Luke goes on to give us a contrasting story about another type of giver who, from the outside, looked pretty much the same, right? These people sold some land, laid it at the apostles' feet so they could use it for the poor. They could use it for, the, for whatever needs were, were coming up. So, on the outside, it looked just the same. But externals can be deceiving, we know that, and God looks at the heart. And when God looks at the heart of these givers, he sees the kind of generosity that he hates. Let's keep reading. This is found at the start of Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, that can be confusing. At this point, you can think, what? Does that mean they were required to bring it all? Does that mean they had to bring all the proceeds? No, no. Listen to how the story continues to go. He says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Answer, yes. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Answer? Yes. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. This is very important to understand how this story is rolling out. What it suggests is that Ananias and Sapphira had come to Peter and said, we're going to sell this piece of land and and, and made some kind of commitment. We are going to give it all to the church. We're going to do what Barnabas did. And we were inspired by his example, and we want to follow suit. So we got this piece of land, we're going to sell it, and, and we're going to give it all to the church. But, they talked about it and realized, do we really want to give it all? I don't want to give it all. Do you want to give it all? Let's, let's keep back a bit for ourselves. I mean, it's ours, isn't it? We earned it, didn't we? I mean, yeah, let's keep. But here's the issue. When they brought the money, they presented it as though it was the whole price. Do you see the challenge there? See what's going on? So they come and say, we have sold this land and we're giving it to God. But it wasn't all of it. It wasn't the whole thing they'd given. They'd sold. It wasn't the price. The price tag was actually different. And they'd kept back, but they tried to present it as though they were giving everything. That's what's going on here. Apparently, God doesn't like this sort of thing. Watch what happens. 
When Ananias heard this, heard uh, Peter saying, you've not lied to human beings. You've not lied to me. You lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those who heard what had happened. I laugh, but seriously, this is wild. Then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Communication in this family was a little on the low side, wouldn't you say? Anyway, came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, and this is another clue to support what I already said about the price. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. He said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men, finding her dead, came in and finding her dead, carried her and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. No kidding. Whew. Well, I want to highlight three truths out of this story, and then I do want to take some time for questions. First, the first truth is that giving is a response to grace, not a work for gain. This is crucial, and it's all through, particularly the New Testament, but also the Old, when it comes to giving. We don't give to get something, whether that's something physical, whether that's a claim. We don't give to get something, we have already received everything through Christ. So that we give not now for our own glory or our own good, but rather for God's glory and for others' good. This is so important that we understand this. It's why giving is part of worship, whether that's financial giving, whether that's the giving of our time, energy, prayer, whatever that is. Giving is an expression of our worship. All Christian giving is responsive giving. It's grateful giving. It's offered cheerfully because we know how much we've received. It's offered cheerfully to give God glory, to give Him thanks, to give Him praise, but also to say, we are committed to what you are all about. Our resources are your resources, and we want you to use them the way you desire to see people's needs met. Physical needs, spiritual needs, relational needs. God, we're giving this because you've given us everything. So it's always responsive. And whenever we struggle with that, whenever giving becomes something we are struggling with, the answer is not to just beat ourselves or feel guilty. We talked about this last week. The answer is to go back to square one. To go back, as it were, to, to the God who's given us so much and reflect on that and, and praise God for that and receive again insight into all that God has given us through Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. To actually let God's grace work in us so that our giving is a response to what we've already received. If we ever find out, if we ever discover as we're giving that we're expecting some sort of return in such a way that when we give, we're upset when the return doesn't come. 
We're upset, we're upset because I thought, God, that if I, if, I, if I gave this amount for the year, that my financial troubles would be over. Or I thought that if I gave this, then my, my child would come and we'd have a reconciled relationship. You know, all those kind of strings. We thought somehow the giving was tied to, you know, because if we give, right, then God surely will love us more and do things for us, right? That's kind of tricky behavior, tricky thinking. But that's not Christian giving. Christian giving isn't giving because we want, we're trying to manipulate God into doing something. It's given out of response to what God has already done for us. Grace is always, always first, and our giving is a response to God's grace. And this means that all Christian giving, all of our giving is under grace. It's an expression of grace. It's a response to grace, but it's also something filled with grace. It means that our giving isn't measured by some external standard, like here's what you got to meet. And if you're just underneath that, you're in trouble. And if you're over that, man, you are an awesome Christian. That's not how it works. We give as the Holy Spirit leads us to give. And the Holy Spirit, we discover, always leads us toward generosity always leads us toward self-sacrificial giving because that's exactly how Jesus gave. Always leads us toward grace for the sake of others, for the sake of people discovering the good news, good news of Jesus. This means that Christian giving isn't set by a certain percentage. Now, if some of you are disagreeing with me right now. That's okay. We're family. We can talk about it. But I don't think a certain percentage, 8, 10, or 15%, is somehow, again, the standard we must all achieve. Rather, Christian giving is set by the generosity we've experienced in the grace of God and the reality of our lives, so that we, in conversation with the Holy Spirit, in conversation with our community, we strive to be giving in response to the grace God has given to us, whatever that might be. Why do I say that? Well, because for some of you, 10% is a famous number. A lot of people think that's what God requires. Nonsense. What He requires is our complete disposal before him. He asks us to simply respond to the grace he's given to us. So for some of us, 10% is too much. And some of us, 10% is appallingly low. Right? It's, it, you know, depending on our life situation, depending on the resources God has given us, it's not a, it, there's not a magic number. Although 10% is a beautifully easy one to figure out for math idiots like me. But, you know, we all have calculators now on phones. It's actually quite easy to figure out what percentage 18.5 is. Not that that's the one you should go for. But if you do, I won't stop you. So anyway, it's not 8 or 10 or 15. It's rather before the Lord where he leads us to, to, to decide, maybe with our family, probably if you have a family, it should be with your family. If you have a spouse, it should be with them. But to decide, what should we give? What is the Lord leading us to give? And for some of us, it's going to be 25%. Because we aren't hurting on, on the 75 that's left to us. And because God's grace is so powerfully at work in us, it will lead us to give as an expression of a response to God's grace. And for others, it's going to be a real challenge to do 7%. And maybe we're going to work ourselves toward that. The point here is it's not some external standard, but rather it's the work of God's grace in us that we give as an expression of what God has given to us in response to his goodness and his grace. There's no legalistic standard, but it's a work of God in us. All right, second truth. We take giving as seriously as we take God. You could also reverse those. Now, apparently, based on this story, the Holy Spirit takes the church, and I don't mean the physical building, you understand that, right? The people of God, 
the church of Jesus Christ. He takes the church and our giving to one another, our giving to the church, he takes that very, very seriously. Why? Because we are now his house. We are his house, the people. The temple of the Holy Spirit is now living and walking around. It's not brick and mortar or wood. It's actually the people of God. The church collective is the holy temple of God's Spirit. And then by, by extension, we individually are as well. And the gifts we give to each other within the church are as holy and as sacred as those that were once offered in the physical temple. And I know it's a bit hard for us to swallow, but God is very protective of his house. Very protective of his people. He doesn't want his people to be corrupted. He doesn't want mold to set in. He doesn't want us to be ruined by fake generosity or fake spirituality or fake devotion. If this story tells us nothing else, it tells us that God takes his house seriously. That we need to remember who is living among us, whose we are. And then our giving, whether it be fake or true or begrudging or joyful, is ultimately given to a holy God who lives among us, who lives in us. We discover, in fact, that how we give reflects who we worship. And also, who we worship is reflected in how we give, that we do take giving as seriously as we take God. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me sit up and pay attention. It makes me realize, again, what I'm doing when I give, financially and otherwise, that God takes my giving seriously because he takes us seriously, because he takes our being the presence in the the temple of the Holy Spirit, he takes that very seriously. I'm really challenged by that. Maybe you are too. Well, the third truth, and then we'll throw it up for questions, is this. What cannot be wrecked from without can be ruined from within. We know this is true. Why is the punishment in this story so severe? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is protecting the church. Without the Spirit's insight, I want you to think through what would have happened in this story. Without the Holy Spirit revealing to Peter what was actually going on, This kind of extraordinary giving that Ananias and Sapphira were doing would have elevated their status and their position within the church, probably within the leadership of the church. Now, you can say, well, that's right. That's because people only see money. No, no, no. I want you to step back and realize what they would have seen, what people would have seen externally is that these people possess the same kind of heart as Barnabas, the same kind of commitment to the mission, the same kind of devotion to the Father. And why not? Because when generosity is an expression of God's work in our lives, when generosity is a sign of our total commitment, when it's an indication that we're saying, Lord Jesus, I give all that I have to you and your work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna free up resources to see more people discover who you are. When that's at work in someone's life, we are right. We are right to disciple them further. We are right to, to, to aid them as they follow God's leading in their lives. We'd be right to even entrust them with more leadership if that was actually an expression of what was going on in their hearts. But what if it was fake? What if they'd only posed as committed 
They'd only posed as generous, but they were actually holding back. And we can, I think, think of stories, unfortunately, if you've been around church for a while, where that has been true of people. They weren't struck dead. Where people have given, and as a result, been given a voice in decisions that they actually had no spiritual maturity to be involved in. That can happen. In this early church, apparently the Holy Spirit felt the church was too fragile at that point to risk this kind of ruination from within, and so the Spirit steps in. This represented a huge internal threat to the early church. What Satan was unable to do externally through persecution, we've been looking at that. Peter looked at that a couple weeks ago. We'll be seeing it again next week. What what Satan was unable to do externally by creating persecution, persecution never works. Persecution just strengthens the church and makes his witness go everywhere. Well, that didn't work. So what Satan couldn't do externally through persecution, he tries to come around through the back door and do it internally through corruption. Both threaten the witness of the church. And as we're seeing now in Acts, asking how the Holy Spirit was fulfilling the promise that Jesus gave to them, what we see here is the Holy Spirit stepping in to ensure at this early baby stage of the church to ensure that there will not be this kind of internal corruption in the leadership of the church. And this is an extraordinary story, of course. God is not in the habit, in spite of what we may have heard, God really doesn't step in and strike people dead very often. Even in the Old Testament, where people point out these, this is like a couple of events over thousands of years, you know? It really isn't very common. So here in this story, we know that God's not in the habit of that. It still reminds us that we need to be vigilant. Vigilant about corruption within our own selves, about our own motives, but also vigilant in our own community life, in how much sway a person can have, or or what what can be done, and, and, and as a result of a person's giving that can actually create problems. We can be aware of all those things. We must never forget that it's what is in the heart that matters, even when the outside looks good. We know that Jesus reserved some of his harshest words in his ministry for people who were caught up with keeping externals, which often had a connection to their financial giving, while forgetting what was actually going on inside of them. We know this is true. Well, those are three truths that emerge in this story. I want to throw it open for at least a couple of questions, okay? What questions do you have? I'll repeat them for the podcast, so make them short. Questions? Anyone? It's a wild story. You've got to have some questions. Don't worry, he won't strike you dead. It's, 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 it's you know, never happened, never happened again. Anyone? Clear, clear, clear as day to you? I, okay, let me ask you a specific question, if you're brave enough to answer. How does this stuff challenge you in your giving? How does it challenge you in your generosity? In what way? Terry? I was reading your mail. I don't do that. Right. Great. It's a beautiful... Yeah, that's a beautiful... So here you looked at something that you'd had sitting there, good quality tools, and then, and then said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give them rather than just use it for, my, for myself. That's a great... Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And we are inspired by each other's generosity. Thank you for telling us that, Terry. Anyone else? 
absolutely. I don't know if you all heard that. I'm going to repeat it for the podcast, okay? There's not only blessing in looking around and seeing there's things that we aren't using to give, but also there's something incredibly Jesus-centered about this is something I do need, but I'm going to give it for the sake of someone else. And God works powerfully through that and does something in us too, right? Because it's not just some extra thing, but something that we want, we desire. Remember last week I told you a story of my friend Nathaniel who, prompted by the Spirit, gave a really good guitar that he had to someone else who needed it. And that was an example of him giving up something that was precious to him to serve another person. So, Oh, so how many would say, I'll write a check for 500 bucks, just do not take every Tuesday evening for the next five months. Yeah, right. The giving of our time can be far more precious than finances for lots of us. And so recognizing that is so critical. And to just point it out, for many people, the need that's in their lives is not for your 500 bucks. It's for you, your time, your inclusion of them into, into your life. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, sorry, Amanda. Yeah. Thank you for raising that. Did you all hear that? The challenge we have today is there are, there's not only what the church is doing, but there's significantly great organizations doing amazing stuff around the world. And, and so how do we do that? And I, I, I want you to see that as a gift. Like the, the truth is, I love the fact that there are passionate people and organizations doing amazing work in so many different areas. I mean, we could talk forever about the power of clean water, but we could also talk very profoundly about the need to fight human trafficking. We also can talk about victims of abuse. We can also talk about world vision. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And so I think, can I just tell you what, what we do? I'm just going to share it. What we do is we give the, the, personally we give the vast majority of our giving right here. But we also have several other organizations that through prayer, through conversation, but also through personal passion, we also give to those organizations as well. Okay? And so, uh, we certainly sponsor World Vision Kids, and we've, we've supported people in ministries that we've been involved in the past, like InterVarsity, and we've donated to an organization that fights human trafficking, because that's a passion for me and, and us. And so, what we've done is we've, we've said, well, we can't give to everybody, but we can find a couple of organizations that we really trust and believe in, and we can support them and get on side with them. And know, and this is the important thing, and know that I don't need to feel guilt or like, well, I'm not able to give to 10 you know, or 20 organizations. Yeah, because if you did it, it would be like $3 to everyone, or at least if it was my giving. It'd be like 3 bucks, right? Well, it would be better for me to give my 100 bucks to that organization monthly and, and I think contribute more. And so prayerfully and in conversation, I would argue, let me just tell you, I would say give to the church what God leads you to give. For us, it's the vast majority of our giving because we believe in the work that God is doing here. Um, it's not because it pays my salary, people. I would do that if I wasn't pay, paid by the church. But also to give to a couple of other organizations that God has led you to give because of what they're doing, the trust you have, the way you want to support it. And then know that if you just survey the crowd here, because I know, well, I don't know how, how generous all of you are, but I know how generous some of you are, that they're going to support different organizations according to different passions. And there's going to be people here who are supporting, um, you know, just 
a wild, beautiful array that really expresses the heart of the church for the world. And so we can know that as a body, we're supporting many, many different things. And that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, let's wrap it up. I know there's more conversation to be had here. I encourage you to do that in your small groups this week. I'm sure you will have great conversation in your small groups this week, as well as uh, in smaller uh, settings. Just continue this conversation. What's our takeaway? Simply this. God's grace shapes our generosity. And when we see the kind of generosity that God hates, not just the kind of generosity that, like I'm not talking about, like I'm struggling to, to, to give with the right heart. That's something the Holy Spirit, He works in us around that. I'm talking about the kind of generosity that God hates is the kind of generosity that's very intentionally given to elevate our own status, to feed our own ego, to somehow do something good for us, and it really isn't for God's glory or others' good. That kind of generosity, God hates. But the kind of generosity God loves runs in the opposite direction. It's the kind of generosity that is an outflowing of His grace to us. And it grows as our receiving of that grace and our understanding of that grace fills us up, changes us from within. That generosity just flows more and more naturally in response to His grace. As we give as an expression of our love for God, but also our deep desire, born in us by Jesus, to see lives changed. People come to know the freedom and the forgiveness through Christ also comes as we step out in faith, as we give, sacrificially, knowing that even as we do so, God's grace is working more deeply within us. That's where it starts, friends. It starts back at square one. In many ways, I'm just repeating what I said last week. Asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to work His grace into us, to draw us to others, so that we together and individually, can meet the needs of the people around us. Be that financial, be that time, be that whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to us. What we discover is this. The beautiful generosity of Jesus really does flow. I've seen it flow in you. I've been recipient of that, as well as a person who's been able to give of that generosity to others. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing, a work of grace in us. Knowing that through the church, Through us, people experience that generosity as the very love and hand of God. So that men, women, children, rich, poor, from every kind of ethnicity, every kind of background, that they somehow, through the generosity they experience from you, will find there's a God who loves them, a God who desires them, a God who has done everything possible for them to know his forgiveness and freedom. Because that's what generosity is all about. Let's pray. Father, we are recipients of your generosity. Jesus, to know and to see your self-sacrificing love laying down your life for us. To then witness to your resurrection and the gift now of your Holy Spirit to us. I mean, on top of all that you've done through your death and resurrection, to give us of yourself, to live in us, that's generosity beyond imagination. And it reminds us, and it leads us to see how any giving that we do, Lord, is, is just pale in comparison to all that you've given to us. So Lord Jesus, would you, by your Spirit, work your grace continually into our hearts and lives. And right at that point where we struggle to give, right at that point where we don't want to loosen our grip, would you, by your Spirit, help us to experience your grace even more? 
so that through us, you're releasing more and more generosity to the men and women children around us so that they too can experience all that you've given. We pray for the Erickson Covenant Church, for us as your people. Would you inspire in us all that, all that you desire to give to others. We give you praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I encourage you to stay for coffee time and then uh, it'll probably be a fairly smooth transition on into Nellie's birthday party, which is a beautiful thing. So would you rise for your benediction today? We're also mindful on this weekend of, of uh, those among us and among our, among our country, uh, country folks who have given sacrificially on this weekend as we uh, celebrate and remember those who have sacrificed so much in the wars and the service to our country. And so as we, as we uh, close today, we want to uh, remember them as well. Would you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the generous love of our Father, sending us filled with the Holy Spirit to be your hands and your feet. And Lord, we remember today those who have given so much. And this weekend as we celebrate our veterans, would you remind us that right there is again a symbol of your sacrificial love. Would you send us in grace today, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.